Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Two Jane Does. As always, we're late, but better late than never. So that's only a day this time. Here we are, ready to bring you a missing persons case. I don't think we've done one of these yet on the podcast. Uh, Maybe uh, we've done Jane Does. Okay, we've done killers. But maybe not a missing person altogether. Hmm. So this one's kind of interesting. Um, we're going to be discussing the case of Angela Hammond. She actually goes missing in 1991 and is still considered a missing person to this day. Uh, but her case has never been closed. So we're going to jump right in. Picture it, Golden Girl style. The year is 1991. Operation Desert Storm is in full swing. Jeffrey Dahmer has been arrested. Terminator 2, Judgment Day was released and brought $509 million to the box office. And Ronnie King was beaten by officers of the LAPD. What an exciting and terrifying at the same time. Time to be alive. Ah. So today's story takes us to Missouri. And Angela Hammond was born in Kansas City on February 9th, 1971. Her parents, Chris and Marcia, stayed in Kansas City for four years after she was born, then moved the family 80 miles south to Clinton to be closer to Marcia's parents, Lloyd and Elizabeth Young. Shortly after their move to Clinton, Angela would become a big sister when Chris and Marcia had a son named Lauren. Now, Clinton, Missouri was and still is a small town. In 1991, the population was around 8,750 people, and as of 2018, it had only grown by about 200 people. Dang. So, it's still a fairly small town. Um, <clears throat> the people there made a living by hard work in factories, on farms, and by supporting local businesses. It's one of those towns where people wave and smile at each other as they walk by. Even if they don't know each other. So, oh, so just like good old West Virginians. Exactly. You do like the half salute thing. Like when you're driving down the road. And you're like, hey. I don't <laughs> even know the guy. Hey, man. Hey. <sighs> Through the years, Chris and Marsha's marriage began deteriorating. Which ended up with Marsha moving another 20 miles to an isolated farm in Montrose. And with Chris going to Olathe. Kansas. Despite the circumstances, Angela and Lauren grew up in a very happy and stable environment where both Chris and Marsha were actively involved and made sure they were loved and taken care of. Aww. How sweet. 
Clinton quickly became Angela's home, though. That's where she made friends, memories, and began building a future. Angela was smart and witty, according to those who knew her. She was likable enough and grew to become very popular in school. She was also very driven, and everyone knew she was destined for great things. God, this already sounds like it's just setting you up for a disaster. <laughs> Angela's best friend, Kyla Ingman, described her as someone who knew how to have fun anywhere she went. Kyla said there were there was never a dull moment with her, and the energetic and positive energy beaming off of her made people want to be around her. Like, these descriptions of her right now make me think of those, like, grumpy old lady things that would be like... When I die, don't tell anybody that I lit up a room because that was a lie. Ugh. To like, me, it sounds like a horror story being nice. set up. Like, Ugh. here's all these beautiful, fun people, and they're going to meet their demise. Oh, exactly. And it gets worse because a love story is about to unfold. Oh, my gosh. So, in November of 1990, then 19-year-old Angela met Rob Schaefer. He was an 18-year-old football star from the same high school that she had went to. Rob had ambitions to join the military, and the two quickly became a couple and fell in love. They were described as a perfect couple. They were both popular, smart, funny, and they got along great. And in January of 1991, Angela laid it on Rob um, that she was pregnant, and Rob was thrilled, and he decided, okay, since you have my baby, I'm going to make you my wife. And so he asked her to marry him, and obviously she ecstatically accepted. This newly engaged couple then moved in together at a trailer home and began planning ahead for this new chapter of their lives. Rob still planned to enlist in the military later that year, but he was working odd jobs for the time being. And Angela, mama to be, out here hustling. She's working both at the Union State Bank as a night processor and taking college courses from Central Missouri State University. She had stuff to get accomplished. Yes, girl. She was doing the thing. And ain't no baby stopping her. Not today. Money was really tight, but Rob and Angela were working hard to get themselves situated and ready for the baby. No one could ever have predicted the mysterious turn events that continue to baffle the small town to this very day. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. It's awful. <laughs> so on April 4th, 1991. Literally like three months after she tells her future husband, baby daddy, that she is pregnant with his child. Angela and Rob went to a barbecue at Marsha's home in Montrose. The night had gone smoothly, and they were able to have relaxing time with friends and family. And around 9 o'clock that night, Angela and Rob decided to head back to Clinton because Rob had plans to babysit his younger brother, Justin. Angela and Rob decided to meet up in town when his mother returned in a few hours. So when she dropped him off, she went to spend time with her best friend, Kyla. I do want to interject something here, like, showing up to babysit at 9 o'clock is a little late, and for your mom to be going out, I mean, maybe not, just to me, like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, well, I mean, maybe she was like, I'm gonna go to the bar for a little bit, you know, the bar is open late kind of yeah, thing, but maybe. it is a little, a little late. But it's, it's, I don't know, it's just weird to me for somebody to be like, could you come over at like nine to watch my kid or like your little brother, whatever? 
and I'll be home in a few hours. And I'm like, girl, in a few hours, I'm going to be asleep. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> but anyways, just wanted to interject and throw that out there. So around 11.15 p.m., Angela dropped Kyla off at her home and went to a pay phone to call Rob. Angela and Rob didn't have a home phone at that time, so the nearby payphone was her only option before she made it home. Right, so just to like make this part kind of crystal clear, she was on her way home. They didn't have a landline at their house, so if she went all the way home, she wouldn't have been able to tell Rob that, hey, I don't want to meet up in town later, I'm tired, I'm just going to go home. So that's why she had to stop at the payphone. The nearest payphone was on the corner of 210 South 2nd Street, where a food barn store parking lot was situated. Angela wanted Rob to know that she was exhausted and planned on going home to soak in a bath. Rob, of course, said that was fine, and he and Angela ended up speaking on the phone for 30 minutes. Around 11.45, literally 30 minutes later, was when everyone's lives changed. Right. Which, could you imagine being like, hey, babe, like, I'm not feeling like staying in the city till after midnight. I'm three months pregnant. Well, yeah, I mean, I she's probably tired, yeah. Yeah, right, That that's my thinking. Ah, oh, I couldn't imagine. So, while they were still on the phone together, an older model green Ford F-150 pickup truck pulled into the empty parking lot and was just kind of aimlessly driving around. Angela told Rob about this truck, and as she was describing it to him, the truck just kind of jetted out of the parking lot and drove away. They talked about how weird that seemed, but they didn't really think too much of it. Now, a few moments later, however, the truck returned and parked in a parking spot. And this time, the driver, a man, stepped out of the side of the truck and walked towards the empty phone booth next to Angela. So, Angela's in one phone booth. There's an empty phone booth right next to her so he goes into the phone booth next to her seconds later he goes back to his truck grabs a flashlight and starts waving around like he was looking for something angela began feeling uncomfortable so she asked if he needed to use the payphone and he told her no which i guess was just more like a courteous kind of like what are you doing kind of thing like hey like is that phone not working? Do you need to use this one? I don't mind to get off. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, not feeling any better, Angela started doing probably the most smart thing anybody could do in this situation. She started describing the way the guy looked to Rob. So, she said he was a white man wearing overalls, glasses, and a baseball hat. She said he had a beard and mustache, and he seemed to be very dirty. She also described the truck. Um, going back, it was a green Ford F-150 pickup truck and something that I didn't include in here which I'm kind of kicking myself for was it had one of those decals on the back of like the fish jumping out of the water Mm -hmm. so that was on the like the back windshield of this truck okay so the next thing that Rob heard from Angela was this terrifying scream coming through the phone and he heard a man saying quote I didn't need to use the phone anyway, end quote, which is really unsettling because, like, if he didn't need to use the phone, why would you, like, obviously attack her or do something to her? Right. Makes no sense. So, the phone line then goes dead. 
And Rob immediately tossed his landline aside, jumped into his car, and drove over to where the payphone was, which was only a few minutes from his parents' house. Damn. Oh, but buckle your seatbelts, y'all, because we in for a little bit of a chase. On his way to the payphone, Rob saw a similar truck matching what Angela had described pass him with a woman struggling with the driver. He also heard a woman screaming, Robbie, for help. He then made a sharp U-turn to chase after the truck, and this continued for around two miles before his transmission went out after making a right turn, leaving his vehicle stalled in the middle of the road and the truck with who he is imagining as Angela in tow quickly fading out of sight. That, oh my uh, god, that is like the worst luck. Yeah. Oh my god. That would be like absolutely the worst. For like the woman you love, your unborn child, to be in danger, you heard the altercation go down. And you were right there. Yeah, and you were right, right there. there. Ah. So Rob now had no choice but to walk back into town. And a passing driver saw him and picked him up. And Rob asked to be taken to the police station so he could report what had happened. It was just after midnight when he made it to the police station and reported the incident. Rob told the police that Angela had described the man as, quote, filthy and bearded, end quote. He was wearing overalls, a baseball cap, and glasses. Rob also described the truck he was driving as a green Ford F-150, late 60s, early 70s model. However... Yeah, it's awful. So, the police worked on drawing up a composite sketch, but I'm going to post pictures of this. This sketch looks nothing like Rob described. Rob described a white man with a baseball hat, beard and mustache, and glasses. Um, Again, I'm going to post the picture. This man looks nothing like what they described. Um, He has no facial hair at all. Um, no baseball hat, glasses, none of the things they described. So, when the police were asked about this, they said they thought the man could have been wearing a fake beard or mustache. So, what kind of dumbass answer is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we think your description was just fake, so mm-hmm. we just kind of did whatever we want. What the fuck? Yeah, but the catch is no, like, no follow-up sketches were ever released so like the media just got a hold of this one composite sketch that looks nothing like the people that like the the man that they described so way to drop the fucking ball exactly um you know that's somebody's life that could be saved and i mean for all we know she could still be alive well i mean just think if she wouldn't have stopped at the payphone i just oh yeah Yeah, you could play the what-if game to death, and that's probably the worst part for everybody. But, anyways, so going back to these kind of slightly terrible police. um, They were also skeptical of Rob's story and believed that it was too thought out and seemed like something unreal from a movie. Um, Nonetheless, they began their investigation, and they discovered Rob's vehicle in the middle of the street, right where he told him it was. And shortly after that, they found Angela's car abandoned at the shopping center parking lot with her purse still inside what do you know someone told the fucking truth (laughs) exactly (laughs) what no way it's crazy uh oh my god so the deck 
Detective 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 Damon Parsons of the <laughs> Detective Damon Parsons of the Clinton Police Department notified Marsha, which was Angela's mom, of what was going on, and this caused immediate panic, which I could only imagine. Mm-hmm. Marsha then passed the information along to Angela's dad, Chris, and he made the trip to Clinton and stayed there for several weeks to help find Angela. Rob started to be a target of the investigation. Of course, because the husband always did it. Right. <laughs> but Marsha and Chris insisted that Rob adored Angela and that they didn't believe for a single second that he could have been involved in something like this. He ended up taking and passing a polygraph, but police still found his story very unusual. However, two additional witnesses ended up coming forward claiming to have also seen the same truck as Rob described, which then rolled him out. Wouldn't that be super shitty? Like, you are already distressed and upset that your <laughs> soon-to-be wife, pregnant wife, yeah, is missing. You have all this information because she told you over the phone, and they're like, mm, nah, homie, I think maybe you the one that did this, created some elaborate, fabricated story. But, oh, here's two witnesses. All right, man, you good. I mean, like, what? I, I don't know. I, I get that you have to rule everybody out because, like, look at Chris Watts. Or whatever his name was that killed his wife and two kids. All because he just wanted out of a marriage. Because he was having an affair. Like, I mean, people do that kind of crazy shit all the time. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's like some, you know, there are some physical things that go on with your body. The way you talk, all this other stuff. Like, there's a lot of psychology that goes into it. And I don't know. I don't know. I it think was also the, the 90s. So. <laughs> I think the police were just a little bit... I think the police were a bit sketchy. <gasps> so, as police began rounding up friends and family for questioning and additional details, they started to focus on an ex-boyfriend of Angela's, 17-year-old Bill Barker. Some rumors had started going around that he was the father of Angela's baby, but Bill denied those allegations. Bill also complied and took a polygraph, and he passed. There was also zero evidence that pointed to him. After looking further into things, police no longer considered him a suspect. Also, again, never take a polygraph. Just never do it. Yeah, Because even if you're not lying, you can still fail because you're distressed. You're anxious. Yeah. You're under the fucking gun. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Like, as a murder suspect... Like, yeah, no. I mean, you could, like, squeeze your butt Stop. cheeks wrong just because you're moving around in your seat, and they'd be like, ah, but you, you, you failed. What's wrong? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's too much. I can't do it. So, Angela's disappearance hit the town hard because, you know, it was, you know, small, homey town. Mm-hmm. The community came together and began distributing missing persons posters all throughout the town, plastering photographs on local storefront windows, diners, and truck stops. Over 250 volunteers, including friends, family, and the police, conducted an air and ground search, scouring the entire town of Clinton looking for her. Water wells, creek beds, old country roads that were isolated, barns, woods, fields, and abandoned buildings were all combed with but no luck. Which, I never even paid attention to that until I was actually hearing you read that out loud. I mean... If Clinton's such a small town... Why is it the only town they're looking at? Yeah, I get that that's like, you know, where she was from. But if somebody did pick her up and just, like, drove off with her in a car, what makes them think that she could still be in the town of Clinton? Yeah, she could have been in 
the next three towns over. Yeah. Eleven days later, the Clinton Police Department contacted the Missouri Rural Crime Scene Squad to get some help into the investigation. 25 police officers from 15 neighboring counties happily accommodated them. The Missouri Highway Patrol also looked through their database of all registered vehicles, a list of 1,600 potential pickup trucks matching what Angela's kidnapper was possibly driving was compiled and sought out for new suspects, but still no clues were found. The police Damn. were at a t- okay. <laughs> the police were at a total loss and confused as to how a small town crime wasn't providing evidence or answers that could give them a probable suspect. They ended up shifting gears and started to consider the possibility that Angela's abduction could be connected to two similar disappearances that had occurred within an 80-mile radius just months earlier in January and February of 1991. So, on January 19, 1991, 42-year-old Trudy Darby was working at the local K&D convenience store in Max Creek, Missouri. At around 10 o'clock that night, Trudy was in the process of closing up the store for the night when she saw three men lingering around outside. She ended up calling her son, Waylon, and asking him to come by because she felt uncomfortable. But when he showed up, like, maybe 10 minutes later, she was gone. The store had been robbed, and two days later, Trudy's naked body was found 15 miles away in the little Nyongwe River. She had been beaten, raped, and shot twice in the head at point-blank range with a shotgun. Jesus. Yeah. But there's three people in that, not just one. A little bit of a difference. And obviously she was found dead, so. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was just a disappearance. Yeah. I I found her. Right. It wasn't a David Copperfield. (laughs) On February 27th, 1991, in Nevada, Missouri, Cheryl Ann Kinney, a 30-year-old wife and mother of two, was working at Quality Convenience Store on Business 71 Highway. It was 10 o'clock at night, and she was at the store with the janitor and a male customer. The store usually stayed open until midnight, but the night was going relatively slow, so she decided to close up and let the janitor leave early. Aww. How sweet. Cheryl counted the till and stored the money in the back room. At around 10.17, she set the store's alarm system and made her way to her car in the parking lot. No one is actually really sure of what happened afterward, but she never returned home and hasn't been seen since. So this, to me, is a little more of a disappearance. it's a little bit more fitting. Right, right, because, I mean, she definitely, like... Poof, thin hair. Nobody, and like, I'm pretty sure her case, nobody still knows either. So, three years later, we get an update in the case of Trudy Darby. Uh, So, the summer of 1994, her case was actually solved. The perpetrators were 15 year old Jesse Rush and his half brother Marvin Cheney. They were arrested after Jesse had visited Kansas City and bragged to multiple friends that he had killed Trudy and got away with it. Jesse's friends were shocked by this and notified the police immediately. Both men were ultimately convicted of first-degree murder and received life without the possibility of parole. However, they were never connected to the abduction of Angela, and as for any connection with Cheryl and Kenny, no evidence would ever be found. So, no updates on Cheryl. Can't link it to Angela without any evidence. 
and they solved Trudy Darby's case. So... And why would they fess up to something else anyways? Right, right. Um, so in October of 1991, a new possible lead emerged from a man named Russell Smith. He was living in Canada, but decided to visit family living in Missouri. He didn't have any knowledge regarding who Angela was or the circumstances surrounding her disappearance until he saw a missing persons poster. He immediately contacted the Clinton Police Department and reported that in September, he witnessed a woman matching Angela's description getting inside of a green pickup truck after leaving a drugstore in Canada. So, I'm realizing I just jumped back to 1991. That was just a little update on Trudy's case. So, like, we had to jump ahead three years to give you the update and let you know that it's not connected. But now we're jumping back to just, what, May, June, July, August, September, six months after she disappeared. Yeah. Can't do the math in my head. But tell me how fucking crazy it is to just wind up seeing your family... And then you, like, see all these missing person posters, and you're like, you know, I, I think I might have actually seen this person in Canada. Like, what? I mean, yeah, that's wild. That's a hell of a dink. Yeah. Um, Russell's boldness caused Clinton's police chief, Bob Pattinson, to contact Sergeant Bob McCory of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to alert them to the possible new development. McCory followed up on the sighting. Considering Angela was four months pregnant at the time of her disappearance, they deduced that she may have given birth to her child. They visited all the hospitals and baby stores in the area with Angela's photograph to see if anyone remembered seeing her, but nobody recognized her. That Another good end. sucks. In November of 1991, the the production crew for Unsolved Mysteries arrived in Clinton, Missouri to film a reenactment of Angela's disappearance. The episode was broadcasted on television the very next month with the latest televised coverage. David Rader, the producer for the television show, urged law enforcement to not raise their expectations too high because only two of the 49 missing person cases they covered had been solved by the public. By the end of 1991, the investigation into Angela's disappearance was met with despondency. That's kind of crazy that only two of, at the time, 49 missing person cases they covered had ever been solved by the public. Yeah. Yeah. And now, like, I think it's, not that it's funny, but it's ironic that now you watch, like, Don't Fuck With Cats or other shows like that where... There are, like, thousands of people out there on the internet that are... Hunting people down? Wanting to find these people. Yeah, it's insane. So, obviously, the first year after Angela's disappearance was emotionally overwhelming for family and friends because they still had to continue on as if nothing was wrong. Because, let's not forget, like, death is harder for the living because they have to keep going as if nothing's changed. So... I lost my place. But she ain't dead. She's just gone. Well, I mean, yeah. Which uh, is still, I think that might yeah, even be. probably delete that. <laughs> which is even harder because you right. don't know what happened to them. I mean, with death, you have a little bit of closure. Right. But with a missing person, it's entirely unknown. Yeah, I don't know why I jumped immediately to death. I have no idea. I mean, she could be dead. dead. We don't know. No idea. I mean, I hope she's not. Hope Angela's safe. But, I mean, yeah, I guess that that's probably it, too. Like, just the whole open-endedness mm-hmm. of the situation. Like, never knowing, like, what. 
actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, in June of 1991, Rob did end up going to Fort Eustis, Virginia to train for the National Guardsmen. Kyla planned to relocate to Colorado. Marsha went on a vacation trip from Florida from her job, but she felt guilty accepting it while her daughter was still missing. Friends and co-workers ultimately convinced her to take this opportunity to recharge her batteries after everything that had happened to the family. And in the summer of 1992, another tragedy occurred in Missouri when Cheryl Levitt, Susie Streeter, and Stacy McCall vanished without a trace on the same night. Their disappearance sent shockwaves across the nation. Marsha became quick friends with Stacy's mother, Janice McCall, and formed a unique bond, becoming a shoulder for each other to lean on in the wake of their terrible tragedies. They were invited to be on the Oprah Winfrey show to keep their missing daughters in the spotlight in the hopes of garnishing new leads that could bring them closure. And Angela's disappearance was stagnant for years. In April 2009, new information was brought to the Clinton Police Department. They provided a statement to the media claiming they had DNA evidence due to advancements in technology and forensic science, but never fully elaborated as to what they had discovered. What the... First of all, it's like, it's like, oh, let's sprinkle this little bit of hope on the family and then, eh, sorry, deuces on you. Yo. Let's just keep dropping this ball. Who cares? 18 years, no big deal. My God. Yeah. (sighs) Very little updates have surfaced since then. This April makes 31 years that have passed from when Angela first disappeared. The lack of answers still concerns friends and family of Angela's. The Hammond family still pursues closure relentlessly and ensures that Angela's memory isn't forgotten. They are still in contact with Rob and consider him a part of their family. As for Rob himself, he eventually moved away, works construction, and has a beautiful family. Though the heartache and what-ifs are still there, Angela's family and friends honor her by thinking positively and shedding light in dark places just as Angela would have. Ah, That's so sad. I just got chill bumps. That's... I mean, yeah, it's, what if, how old would she be right now? Um, if she was 19 in 1991, she would be 50. She legit could be living. Yeah. With she somebody could else, be alive. somewhere else. Yeah. Could I mean, imagine? there have been several people that have been, like, abducted and kept alive for years. And their family has no idea where they are. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Mm. So... To this day, Angela's still missing, and the man who abducted her hasn't been identified. No clues, no sightings, and no composite sketches. Police. Like, probably get, look, just think. If they would have done the sketches, maybe they actually would have found somebody. Yeah. Somebody knows somebody. Exactly. Anyways. However, several theories have been proposed. The first of which is that Angela fell victim to a serial killer. There were two active serial killers in the state of Missouri at the time, Kenneth McDuff and Tommy Sells. Remember him from episode 6 on 7? Their victims were young women, and some think that they could have been responsible. However, there is no direct evidence leading to McDuff or Sells. Also, both McDuff and Sells have been executed since then, so it's unlikely we will ever know if it was one of them. That abducted Angela. And it's crazy because Cell is actually like, he, he, you know, 
killed a lot of women that were either pregnant at the time or had been pregnant in the mm-hmm. past. Like, that was his M.O. Ooh, that's mm, interesting. Yeah. So, theory number two is <laughs> just a, a random attack, a crime of opportunity, if you will. Someone was passing by and saw Angela or perhaps had seen her earlier in the day and had started following her around. However, it is risky to abduct someone when they were on the phone since she had plenty of time to describe the situation to Rob. So it's kind of like, maybe not. But you don't know what that person's talking about on the phone. And if she wasn't like looking... Yeah, like when you're on the phone, you can kind of like look around you. Yeah. It kind of makes other people like, hey, this person might be talking about me, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probable, maybe. Impossible, no. Yeah. So, theory three is mistaken identity. While this would be a tragic situation, and I think the police acknowledge that, they also believe this is very much a possible scenario. Um, because they actually proposed this theory in 2021, just last year, people. Um, Clinton Police Captain Paul Abbott, who has been working the case since 2006, proposed this and said that there was another woman named Angela whose father had been involved in a case where he was a confidential informant. This was a pretty significant narcotics case that probably disrupted some pretty hefty business. So... I can see that. That would be, you know. But then again, like, would this person really know her name was Angela? I mean, you know what I mean? If he was somebody that was involved in, like, a drug ring, like, they probably know, like, some of their families and stuff. They might not know exactly what they look like, but they'll be like, oh, you know, Roy's got a daughter named Angie, and. And she has brown hair. Yeah, and whatever. whatever. So, and then, you know, boom. Yeah. They're like, okay, you informed on us. You're a rat piece of shit. We're going to kill you now. Yeah. Or we're going to kill your daughter and make you pay. That way. Oh, God. Yeah. That would suck for that little drug ring. To yeah. Be, you know, getting on to the wrong family there. <sighs> so. So, th- like, theory three, t- like, directly ties in with theory four, so. All right. Well, theory four is that Clinton Police Captain Paul Abbott said that they received an anonymous tip recently on their tip line indicating a suspect in the Angela Hammond case. The anonymous tip referenced a letter written using letters cut out of magazine print that was postmarked April 4th, 1991, which was the day Angela went missing, that was contained in her case file that police didn't make public until May of 2021. The fuck? Uh, the person they pointed the finger at was someone that had in- someone they had investigated before, although no one was named. They have put out public pleas for this person to get in contact with them again so they can discuss it further. With that, Captain Abbott says, quote, This has not been a cold case ever as far as I'm concerned, and it's not going to be. End quote. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> So, in closing, we figured we would just give you guys a quick rundown of who Angela Hammond is. Um, she's described as a Caucasian female. She was around 4 foot 11 inches tall and weighed around 120 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She was also four months pregnant then. Obviously, 30 years have passed. She's either lost the baby, had the baby. 
Either way, she's no longer pregnant. Um, she had curly brown hair and brown eyes with incredibly perfect teeth and a small scar above her lip. She also wore contact lenses. If you have any information about the Angela Hammond disappearance, please call the Clinton Police Department at 660-885-5561. That is super crazy to just keep... First of all, I just want to say, I feel like the police kind of dropped the ball, failed a little bit with the whole sketch thing. That's an epic fail. That's absolutely terrible because it it is the responsibility of the sketch artist to mm-hmm. do exactly as you describe not just go off doing whatever they the hell they want yeah that's not, not how that like, works eh, it could have been a fake bearing mustache like no like sure do do two sketches one with all the facial hair mm-hmm. looking dirty whatever and one without i have seen that done yeah. So, like, here's your two possibilities. But it's always the same face structure. Whatever. You don't just willy-nilly go off doing yeah. whatever the fuck you want. Uh, yeah. I think that's a big that's a big flop from them. Um, I think if they could have gotten that out because, I mean, well, sure, there's still cases that are unsolved, even with a good, like, reliable sketch artist that followed all of the descriptors and everything, you know... If you just listen to them and do exactly what they're telling you to do, odds are somebody could be like, oh, that's my Uncle Jim Bob. Jim Bob was right here in Clinton. Yeah. He always had this kind of creepy shed, like, butterfly effect underneath his uh, farm, barn, place. (laughs) Oh, that's not butterfly effect, is it? What was that Halle Berry movie? Girl, I don't know. Gothica? Maybe. Anyways, Anyways, you get the point. This is a good moment. was a butterfly effect. I had Ashton Kutcher. But then you also gotta think, like... Could you imagine what Rob was thinking? Like, what if we had a landline? She would never have stopped at the payphone. She would have just went home. Oh, yeah, it's awful. Like, that... I think that, like... Just for him to be sitting in his own thoughts all the time of what if I did this instead of that? What if we did this instead of that? Right. You know? Like that that alone would eat me alive. No. Or like think about her best friend. Like that was the last person who probably saw her alive. Oh yeah. Yeah. Best friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be awful. Like, oh, I should have went home with her or something. Or I should have told her just to stay here. Yeah. Yeah. Ah! Anyways, Gosh. you guys. Don't be out in the city after dark. Well, not even that. I mean, if... Perception is not tense of your reality. If you feel uncomfortable... Leave. Leave. Don't even... I mean, yeah. Protect yourself, too. Yeah, if you feel like like you're being followed, you probably are being followed. Even if the person isn't actually following you, that's how you feel. That's real to you. Trust your gut. Yeah. Stay safe. Don't die. Bye. Later.